Welcome to episode 80, 80 of the Rex Chapman Show with my super dope homeboy from the Lextown, Josh Hopkins. What's up, Josh? Episode 80. Wow. Who you got for 80? Jerry Rice. Jerry Rice is the most famous 80 I can think of. You? It's a slew of wide receivers. Yeah. You got Chris Carter, Steve Largent, James Lofton, Isaac Bruce from The Greatest Show on Turf. 80. Uh, What about, you know, we, we, we tend to talk about you know, uh, book club here and things we've read all week. Did you read anything this week? Not a damn thing. Uh, nothing. Did you? No, that's been book club. Josh, I want to, I want to get right to our next guest because he's just a great guy. Um, uh, just a wealth of knowledge, sports. Everybody knows this guy. He Um, needs no introduction. He needs no introduction. So I'm going to get straight to it. We have today my main main, Kenny Main, Kenneth Wheelock Main the third. Welcome, Kenny. You know what? If the video screen moves like it just did and it is right now, we just got a new kitten and <laughs> loves cords. So right now love he it is playing with the cord because I was low on power. I'm at, actually no, you know what? You can play with that cord. We're at 87%. We're done with Uh-oh. that. Motion. There we go. There we what's, go. The kit, what's the kitten's name? Walter. It's okay. pretty cute. And I Proper was like name. an Walter. I was an anti-cat person historically, except for the occasions where I'd have a friend who already had a cat and the cat was pretty cool. Then I would make exceptions cat by cat, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But Gretchen, who thinks she's Snow White, we're going to have like a llama in the, you know, I just said the other day, we basically live in a really nice kennel. We have two dogs, two cats, because Walter joined Willa, the other cat, and Gretchen just insisted that Willa needed a playmate, and there he is playing with the uh, microphone cord. Hopefully he jumps up. He's a little afraid of me, but then he gives in and kind of likes me. Like, he shows his... He shows the affection when he wants to, like all cats do, right? Yeah, it's yeah. called a cat. And, yeah, and yeah like, a little bit of an asshole. And like Gretchen. But um, no, she's pretty consistent. Oh, Kenny Mayne, thanks for doing this, buddy. It's good to see you. Likewise. You, man. Uh, hey, real quick, what's your take on the tournament, the NCAA tournament? We have a, a final, an unusual final four. Yeah, I just want to see that Kansas State guard keep making us. That was so fun. The 19 assist game, beating right. a UNLV player's record, by the way, right? Wait. Right. Um, man, I, I've enjoyed, I've watched a ton of it for somebody who doesn't full-time cover sports anymore, like I used to. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I was not feeling well. You can still hear my voice. Gretchen and I had like the all-time colds, not oh. COVID, um, but it lasted longer. Good. So hopefully we're Going on around. the yeah, yeah, just like persistent cough, you know. But so I was down and... Uh, fortunately for me, the tournament was just starting. So I just kind of yeah, going to sit on the couch, watch a lot of games. But yeah, yeah. there's just been some incredibly fun, entertaining, down-to-the-wire games like it's supposed to be. Um, so yeah, but as you say, definitely not the foursome that we expected, but who cares? That's the beauty of it, right? Absolutely. Uh, where are you, Kenny? You out, This out minute, yes. I'm at a table with the best background because... <laughs> Here's our cat. Come on, Walter. Come over here. Come on, come. Walter. Wait, wait. He likes dice. He likes ah. to shoot. Walter, come and shoot dice. Let's go. That's so UNLV of him. <laughs> he, he seriously, I, I'm in Connecticut to answer that question. I was being okay. more specific. What room am I in is really what I was right. going for. 
Right. I mean, look at right. that. We have the, the the case back here with a bunch of dishes in China that we know. Here's Walter. He's back. There's oh, he's Walter. Seven oh, hours. Shooting his dice. <laughs> uh, got a little bobcat look to him. Yeah. He's called a Maine Coon is his brand of cat. Uh, and apparently he's going to get bigger, which I wish he wouldn't. I wish he would just stay like this the whole time because he's pretty right. fun. <laughs> but you right. wish that for a lot of things. Like I love my daughters at the ages they are and what they're doing and what they're into and how mature and the relationship we have now. But I so miss the three and the four and the five-year-old version. Like there was just something so simple about it. And it's oh, funny yeah. because at that time in your life, you think things are really complicated. All the new things. <laughs> oh my God, they're going to go to kindergarten. How's that going to happen? You know? Yeah. And, but as it turns out, each thing you face, right? These are obstacles that aren't as insurmountable as they seem as you face them. That's true with a lot of things, right? Once you no question. Once you live through the thing that seems so daunting, it's not so. Experience, man. Yeah, Experience. for sure. Reps, reps. So hey. further answer to that question, we have four daughters together, Gretchen and I. Uh -huh. So we, we each had two coming in. So the last of our four is still in high school. The rest are either past college, in college, or one's considering where she's going to college. She's got another year of high school after this. I remember Kevin McHale telling me one time he he had older uh, kids than mine, um, and mine sound like they may be a little older than yours. You've got one still in high school, isn't it? Just a, he said he said uh, Rex, man, kids are are great. He said, the thing I didn't realize though, I, I loved them when they were little and playing with them and all that, but man, it's super rewarding getting to know them as adults. Yeah. And, and when he said that at the time, I, it was something I'd never thought about, of course, you know, knowing your kid as an adult, can't picture him as, as an adult and man, wasn't he right? Oh, it's true. And, and you also, you're still supportive in the same way. There's still your little kid, that cliche, and it's true. But you just love the exploration. They're like, whoa, you're doing that? I I wasn't, I know me, I wasn't as good as what Riley, my oldest one, is doing now at age 23. You know what I mean? Like, right. she's already down the road into what she wants to do in a far greater way than I was. I didn't, My first job was to pull apart. Here's Walter's making an appearance. He might just steal the show. He's pretty cool. <laughs> there he is. We'll just occasionally interrupt for a Walter moment. But <laughs> okay. um, my first job was for KSTW, Seattle, Tacoma, an hour ahead of the rest. That was our motto because we come to the 10 o'clock news <laughs> an hour ahead go. of the rest yeah. with Charles Johnson, Wendy Mann, Dave Torsha with the weather. And I came in at seven o'clock and my job was, this is so long ago, there were, there were computers. I mean, there were computers. Right. It was this thing, you know, no one would, there was no internet. You know, the internet yeah. was five, six, seven years later, some weird military experiment, experiment. So in our day, you typed your stories on typewriters. Yeah. Do, not everyone even knows what a typewriter is. Same Ding. kind of keyboard, right? Yeah. And some were electric and some were manual. And, and you would come out with this, five-way copy paper and my job was to come in at seven o'clock and rip the paper apart and and the white one was for the anchor who read it the pink one was for the producer the green one was the director the orange one i think was for the teleprompter i can't remember all the colors but there were five people right director producer anchor anchor and teleprompter and the teleprompter you tape the pages together it was a physical <laughs> it wasn't you physically you know yeah 
And so like if they, in the middle of the show, changed the story, whoever was on prompter had a minute to take oh out the three God. pages in the middle and retape together. And yeah, it was, oh my it was a God. long time ago, but that's, that's what, incredible. that's what I did. So I'm saying Riley doing a little more uh, serious work <laughs> at my yeah. age than pulling apart five-way copy paper. Yeah, that's Josh and I. Josh is good friends with my son, oldest uh, child, Zeke, who's 30. And we all actually lived together for a while. And it was it was fun uh, getting to know Zeke in that, uh, getting to know Zeke around another friend of mine uh, like Josh. And the great part was Josh and Josh and I would come in talking about something one day and my son would go, that's not right. You guys. You guys, that's not right. And we go, yeah, we are. Yeah, we are. And we look it up. No, we weren't right. <laughs> Had no idea. And he's he's 25 and telling us what's going on. <laughs> Correcting you. Well, we're corrected all the time about what you can say and what you can't say. And, you know, they think they're yeah. cooler than us. Right. Um, and they probably are. But I'll tell you, when you were starting to go there, I thought I have always liked how my daughters felt comfortable around my good friends. Like like an adopted uncle, almost, right? You yeah. know, like and and appreciated that they appreciated why I liked that person, why they were important in my life, and it gave them this, you know, extra sense of family, like, like extended family. You got one more person to count on. So, I think I think you know we should all be thankful for those relationships. No question. And whenever anybody says that, I automatically think of Josh, because uh, I, I was I was living at Josh's place several years ago going through a tough time, homeless, living on Josh's couch. And my daughter, my middle daughter, Tatum, came to stay with us for uh, during the summer. She was still in high school, came to stay with us for a couple, two or three months. It was great. She got over there and wakes up one morning. Her uncle, Josh, not really her uncle, Josh, had paid for her to go to. She'd been dying to go to acting classes and paid for her. To go to acting classes all oh. summer. It was the Groundlings. It was the Groundlings. The Groundlings. Like comedy oh. te- yeah, I yeah. Mean, come so, on. That ain't bad. Just, just beautiful was, uh, stuff. Well, hey, I, re- I remember but, you telling me this story without naming him, I think, when you were on yeah, my podcast. Right. And I talked about that roughest period of your life and like, how the hell did you get through it? And he said, I needed some help. That's right. There's your guy. That's my guy. That's a exactly guy. Let me ask guy. you something because you. I've always been a huge fan. This is a big thrill for me because you don't often see someone who's who's completely original. And the stuff you'd say and do, you know, you'd be watching Sports Center and you'd, you know, but be doing something, you'd be like, oh, what do you what do you just say? Because you weren't like a guy that was you're obviously so dry. You're like, they should call you prohibition. You, you were like, you, you would just uh you know, most guys would be up there. They'd be like, oh, he smacks one cowabunga, you know, whatever. And you were there like, and he hits that really hard. You know, like he's tall. That one. I love that. You know, a rebound. He's tall. Puts it back. And you're just like, this is how did you did you hit that one day and go, that's my thing or your whole life? Are you kind of like in fifth grade being like, it's Miss Jenkins. She's dedicated her entire life to education. You know, like when, when did Actually, that come about? Fifth grade was Mr. Bell and he was ex-military. Mark Sansfer, my best friend and I 
spent most of fifth grade in the hall, actually. So I've always said what I ended up doing for work and still do is the same thing that got me thrown out in the hall in grade school, right? Like you're in a situation, something happens, somebody says something, and you have like that nanosecond, what's the funniest, most absurd thing right now that I can spit out, right? That will own the room. Like that, yeah, I was a ham and probably continue to be. Um, I don't know. I think you're shaped by everything, right? Like we've all talked about this. You know, my dad was a funny guy. My uncle Gordy was very funny. My dad's friend, Al Drake, I stayed up watching Johnny Carson. You know, that was a big deal to yeah. stay up for the monologue at 1130. Um, the Bugs Bunny hour for certain shape me. Uh, get smart, you know, yes. just other funny things. Like I wasn't copying, but it definitely influenced me. And then, you know, with time, I, I don't think I put on an act. I think you're getting right now what you got on TV, except I don't have makeup and no tie and don't have to worry about, you know, total rebounds or whatever. Right. Um so there's less restriction, fewer restrictions than there once were. But no, I think it was always like you're saying, like, here's a situation. Guy hits a home run. What can you say that's different than he hit a home run? That's boring. You got to do better than that. Cowabunga is not that great. I'm not going to do that. You know what I mean? So I think what I would do oftentimes is in my off time, just driving down the road or out playing golf or sitting at home, something on TV. And I would just scribble down, like, here's a good line to use one day. And I just kind of. I had this list of, you know, like Eddie Vedder's notebook he brings on stage, not saying I'm, you know, comparing myself to Eddie Vedder, but that's what it reminds me of. Like, oh, I want this handy because I want to be able to say roll one, light one when an NBA play, like marijuana reference, when right. a guy hits a three, right. you know, right. put one in the air. Like, I mean, there's Isn't just that great these- though. Isn't that a great outlet though, Kenny? I mean, to oh, be playing golf and then, cause a lot of people think funny things. I, I, I would think they do, but you had an avenue to let it out. And, oh, and you know, 100%. You, you had a, you had a, a stage every single night. Yeah. And I, I will readily admit, I miss that hour for sure. I love what I'm doing now. I'm doing stuff right. for Caesars doing a podcast, always pitching other ideas, commercials, this and that. But definitely there's something, there's no there's no comparing that hour, that live hour, yeah. the danger of it, the yeah. immediacy of it, the adrenaline of it. I still remember one of my favorite, there are many, many, but right toward the end, I think it was like a month before I left. And it's almost been two years now since I left ESPN. <laughs> there was wow. just a truckload of no hitters. You remember the 21 yeah. season? Yeah, every and this is the beginning of the season. I think there were seven no hitters in the first two months or whatever the hell it was. And so one night with one minute before we're coming on the air, the no hitter gets completed, whatever the hell game it was. Right. And in that next now we're down to 55 seconds. Now we're down to 45. And this guy, Evan, the producer in our ear, here's what we're going to do. If he comes to the interview, doing the interview right out of the gate after one shot. If he doesn't come to the interview, we're going to do this. Really, you know, he gives us like seven things that might happen. Now we're down to 10 seconds. And we still don't know which one's going to go because we don't know if this or that is going to happen. Right. But we have all these contingencies and we have the faith in each other and the trust that he's not going to hang us out, right? He's yeah. not going to stick you on camera. Uh, you know, you're not going to do that. So that part is hard to replace. The, right. Like I said, the danger of live TV and mm-hmm. The, the adrenaline rush of that's just happened. And now you're talking about it. Now you're going to drop that great line that, you know, you wrote on the golf course three days ago. Like, so yeah, that part's well, missed, but I like all the rest of the stuff I still get to do. That is so similar to, uh, you know, a lot of comedians process. They just think things and they write it down and then they kind of think of a way to workshop it in, you know, to something, but you, you kind of did it on the fly. Did you have a, a, 
like a sports center guy that you felt like was your 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 best um, straight man or your chemistry guy with? Like, did you have one? And also, did you always just lay these out and they didn't know they were coming? Like, did you save these for yourself or like in a meeting before, did you think, hey, I might say he's tall? Oh, no, you'd never tell him before. Okay, like, all right. Right, right. Good. In fact, that's what um, I wanted to hear. I think a lot of people do this in other forms where, like on feature stories, when we went out and did the NFL stories for years, we did the fake NFL stories. Mm-hmm. We sometimes, because we'd get, you know, we'd come back, we think it's the funniest thing ever, and the boss is like, I don't know if everybody's going to get this one, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> And they take, you know, and maybe they're right. But I was always like, who cares if everybody, you don't want everybody. Everybody. You want some people. (laughs) So what we would end up doing is sometimes putting in a line that we didn't even care if it made it or didn't make it just something outrageous, you know, just, and they, we can't run this. Okay. You win. And then, but they leave the other stuff that we really wanted. Right. Right. We pulled that once or twice, but to answer the earlier question, I hate naming names because I liked just about everybody. I, you yeah. know, there was really nobody yeah. that I had some big, I don't know, like like didn't mesh with, you know. But right. instead of the best straight man, I always liked the person who made me giggle, you know, got me even yeah. looser than I was going to. Bouchagras is in that category. John Anderson. You know, I mean, the list is long. Where yeah. And we got to know each other so well that you could play off each other just like with a look, like you knew something, the little, the old twinkle in the eye, something's coming, you know? So, yeah. yeah. Well, that's hey. why people love sports and how it, it revolutionized thing because it, it, it was, it's an, it's art. I mean, to be able to do that on the spot and play with one another, you, you've got these parameters you're in and that's you're right. talking about sports uh, and uh, Walter. Hello. hello. Um, and then you would come up with these things and that's what made it so much more entertaining than highlights of sport. It was, it's, it's an art and you were, and it's a credit to you that you didn't have people that you got along with better because you were so adaptable. I think the best shows were always with people that you treated each other like teammates. Keith Olbermann mm-hmm. was talking about that when I interviewed Dan Patrick and Keith Olbermann together and they were both very good to me, but they, they spoke fondly of each other like how we both wanted to be good teammates they certainly had different personalities Keith's just you know the biggest guy in the room and he's loud and you know for some he's too much I think he's great he's like a you know tortured genius Mm -hmm. um and Dan's Dan Dan's you know consistent through the years funny you know smart knows how to pull off a show half of it in my opinion it's knowing how to make a show matters more than the material you're delivering necessarily because nobody cares if you're, I mean, Keith loves to be an encyclopedia of many things, and he is. It's unbelievable. Like his right. quick knowledge, I don't have that. Smart. But I know how to make a TV show happen. You know, whether I know a damn thing about hockey or or whatever the thing is I'm doing, you still know how to make a show work. I still remember the knock on me going way, way back, that job that where I was pulling the green sheets apart. Mm-hmm. I eventually got on TV there, right? Eventually got interviewed by ESPN, didn't get hired. And I knew the rap on me was... He's just not enough of a sports nerd. Pretty good on TV. He's got some good writing. He knows how to pull it off. But, you know, oh, my God, what if in the middle of a show we start talking about the Cubs middle relief or what, you know, and they were right, really. So when I finally had my third interview to finally get hired, this is when ESPN2 came around. Vince Doria was the boss. And I said, look, I still don't know who the fifth pitcher on the Cubs is, and I really don't give a damn. But if you tell me to do a story on the son of a bitch, it'll be the best story you got. 
So I was like, nice. I'm very confident about my writing, about my execution. If you give me a minute to study who the fuck the five bitches are, it's not to knock having a good base of knowledge. It's obviously beneficial to have you know some depth and know a lot about this or that, but it's pretty rare that every anchor can know everything about everything. Like how can, you know, then I bet you're not very good at disseminating it. Exactly. If you're that nerdy just to know all the, the zeros and ones, you might not be yeah. able to eloquently and effortlessly do it in the moment live TV. You were describing the danger for that hour, the, the anticipation of that hour going on sports center every night or going on TV every night. And the producer and the people in your ear and your cohort, it's, it's a team, it's, it's team, it's teamwork. And Josh and I are constantly, you know, talking about, because we talk to a lot of from everybody from Mike Wilbon on here to athletes, but many uh, broadcasters, Bob Costas, Costas, I'm always fascinated to know, because like where Josh and I grew up, uh, in Kentucky, we didn't have many 10 year olds that said, you know, I want to be a broadcaster. Most everybody is saying, you know, I'm going to be a baseball player or a football player. Uh, I know you played sports. When did you make, when did you make the pivot? I mean, really it happened when I couldn't go on with what I really wanted to do. I was not going to be Joe Montana. I'm not claiming, you know, like I played at UNLV. I didn't play very much. But it's kind of funny. I was one of those guys, in my opinion, anyway, who was getting better over, you know, as I matured. Right. When I was when I was in ninth grade, I was 5'8", 130 pounds. And I played fifth quarter. Like, they would hold the regular four quarters, and they'd have this extra legal fifth quarter for the shitty players who didn't get in the four quarters, right? It should have been your nickname. Kenny, fifth, fifth quarter, quarter man. No, but, but I was, I was pissed. I was like, fuck this. I'm better. I should be yeah. in the first four. I was a better thrower than the other guy. He was a better athlete for certain. Bruce Humphreys, he's, he's a lifelong friend, but he wasn't a quarterback. He couldn't throw. He could play a hundred other things. Great at basketball, great at baseball. But he sounds they, soft. He sounds no, soft. No, 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 not soft. Bruce sounds soft. <laughs> I got all the data on this. I'm talking more about ninth grade football than I am near a question, but it goes back to it, right? And it also is a good story of perseverance. So I would come in for the fifth quarter and I was humiliated, pissed off. What the fuck am I out here? The fifth quarter, this game doesn't even count. Only my dad and Mr. Mihawk are staying around to watch. (laughs) Cheerleaders are over. They're not paying attention. Like just awful, right? The next year, I'm still like five, eight, 140 pounds or whatever, right? And then over one summer, going into my junior year, I became 6'2, 140 pounds. You're like just straight up, right? So my point is, I was kind of a late developer, and then I went to junior college and ended up at UNLV. So the kid who played ahead of me, Sam King at UNLV, went or had a chance to go to the Seahawks. He, he led the nation in, in total passing yards that year in mm-hmm. 1981. And my coach, Tony Knapp, said hey to, to the Seahawks, hey, if you like Sam, you should look at this other guy because Sam was going to do something else, go to Canada or whatever. And I got to go throw and signed a contract that day I was probably strike insurance if you really want to break that. It was 82. There was yeah, a strike. Right. Um, but I could throw better than the other rookies, at least in my opinion. I wasn't going to beat out Jim Zorn on day one. Dave Craig was number two. Sam Atkins was number three. I was just hoping to wow. stay around long enough through preseason to either hide me on the taxi squad or cut me and let me go to the USFL or can't. You know, like yeah. I was trying to prolong that, right? Day one in Cheney, Washington. 
literally day one, I'd, I'd worked out with the team in Kirkland for like three weeks, doing fine, like feeling, you know, like I said, feeling very comfortable. Like I was fitting in, I was scared, I was nervous because what the hell am I doing here? But I'm throwing <laughs> to Steve Largent. Like, how bad is that? Right. That's throwing so against amazing. Kenny easily. Right. Um, and I failed the physical for my ankle because I'd broken mm. it really bad in, in 1980 at uh. Oregon, UNLV at Oregon. Had a fracture dislocation. They basically were saying he's not valuable enough to this organization with this injury to keep, you know, mm-hmm. he's just right. gonna end up like suing us and getting money out. You know, like <laughs> I just wasn't worth it. And I I get where they were coming from, but it was a total shock. I thought I had already gotten through that process oh, and proven that my ankle's God. good enough. I'd signed the waiver. I'm not gonna sue him if something happens because I came in with the injury, the whole thing. And I, I wake up that morning, I go to do the Cybex test and it was like a lie detector sort of. And I always said like my ankle had lied basically like, like my left ankle was up here and the line on my right. If I yeah. knew what it was, I would have cheated. I would have gone right. easy on my good leg, <laughs> right? hard on my bad right. leg. And right. they would have looked right. right. But I didn't know. So I went home. I was definitely depressed. Like I got oh, sick man. overnight. Like my body's just, like, I can't believe this happened. I got $10 in meal money. 10, the five, four ones and four quarters. That's what I made from the NFL and wow. recovered. And I looked in the literally, literally had a cup of coffee in the NFL. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so this is back in the day when people got jobs through newspaper yeah. help wanted. If anybody remembers those newspapers. Of course. Mm-hmm. And in the newspaper, like a few days later, I, I was kind of like, all right, what am I doing? I still wanted to play. Like I was going to, I went to a couple of USFL tryouts and CFL just never worked out. It was always like, oh, he throws okay. What's your background? Oh, he ruined his ankle and he got cut, you know. So yeah. it didn't work out. But in the newspaper, there was an ad that said, looking for whatever the hell it says, ambitious, you know, young people, you want a career in broadcasting or something, college degree, blah, blah, blah. And I call him up. I got hired over the phone. And three days later, I'm pulling green sheets apart or five-way copy paper apart for this little <laughs> station, Channel 11, Seattle, Tacoma. Took a few years to actually get on TV. I was kind of a background guy, producer, moved up, a writer, did this and that. But that's how it all happened. So when you said, when did you turn? That wow. was kind of it. Like, that's I it. Got, huh, I need a job now because it looks like I'm not going to get a chance at this football thing. Talk about the actual injury. It happened, as I believe, it, you didn't need to be out there, possibly. Uh, and exactly how it happened, because it's so devastating and and what it's led to as as far as run freely for you yeah no i mean it ends up being a positive story but we were at oregon we got beat we played a bad game all around oregon was pretty good that year actually i think they were like eight and three uh this is 1980 that's how old i am so um we're getting i think the score was like 33 to 9 or something if i'm not mistaken last play of the game why not throw up one we were not going to win but you know same thing like a losing team in basketball, don't they fire from half court, yeah, like try to get three more points? Yeah. I don't know. Some guy sticks his helmet on my ankle on the last play. I threw a shitty pass for openers. It was raining. The ball slipped out. Ball goes nowhere, incomplete. And I'm still on the field. Now, in the old days, if you ever look at football film, I think they still do it this way. The last shot is always kind of like a pan of the field left to right, and they go up to the scoreboard. And right. whoever's watching the film knows the final score. They're making that shot on film, and there's me in the left corner kind of writhing in pain. Oh, and it's raining. And it's raining. Yeah, Yeah, I was in shock at that point, so none of that mattered. But fortunately, 
a couple people recognized what happened to their credit. A couple of the Oregon guys stayed with me. Like they knew that something bad had happened. One of my guys came over the uh, trainer came running out. They took me to sacred heart hospital in Eugene, Oregon. I believe it was, I got those cool hospital pants. Remember when we used mm-hmm. to wear those? That was kind of like, Oh special. yeah. Yeah. For some reason they flew me home to Vegas. The defensive line coach gave me a scotch and water on the airplane. So this will help. <laughs> And that, I'm in total Vegas, right? This, yeah, yeah, of course. And, and then I had surgery the next day, and it was pretty bad. They were worried, you know, like, like fracture dislocation is no joke. You tear every ligament, you broke the outside bone. Like, it wasn't good. Metal pins and oh, stuff. Oh, they put pin yeah. across, metal up the side. Yeah. Then they took it out the next, I think it was February, as we were debating, am I going to come back and play? The coaches to their credit coach nap was like, Hey, we're going to honor your scholarship, finish your degree. And you know, we don't anticipate you're going to be out playing. You just had this terrible, right. I just kind of got motivated over the summer. I went back to Seattle, didn't play spring ball, just, you know, went back to school, was still limping around. And I just like, I'm going to come back. Like I just said to myself, I'm, and I remember being with my family. It was, I think it was June or July. And they were all kind of lamenting, oh, it's too bad he doesn't get to finish. And I just got pissed, got out of the room, and I went and ran like eight miles. I've never run that far in my life. Of course. He's stupid. I probably like <laughs> set my leg back 10 years yeah. by doing that. But I, you know, I was like, damn it, I'm gonna prove these people wrong. And but by the end of the summer, I started throwing. It it was definitely stiff. It wasn't normal, but it wasn't hurting. And it wasn't, it was I could drop back, I could roll out, I could do whatever. Wow. And Coach Knapp had me, all he asked me to do is stand on one leg, stand on that leg, stand on that leg. Show me that you can raise up. Like, do do you have that kind of control? We ran the four, we used to, for a physical fitness test, we would run five 400s in a row. So the quarterbacks would go, tight ends would go. Quarterback, you know, you trade off your positions, right? I think quarterbacks, tight ends ran together, whatever, the running backs went next, whoever it was. I ended up winning four out of my five heats. And I just kind of like, do you remember the number? Do you remember uh, about what you ran? In junior college, my best, I ran 400 in JC just to stay in shape for football. I was slow. I was getting murdered by actual runners who were, you know, in the 47. I was like 51.3, I think was my best. I'll take which it. isn't very fast in I'll a take it. track scale, but not bad for yeah, it's real. a slow quarterback. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So maybe that was kind of like in my system somehow. But in any event, I played that one more year. I didn't play that much again. So like I said, Sam King was the starter. A guy named Randall Cunningham, who just turned 60. Yeah. He I was the uh, freshman. So Randall, everybody always has it wrong. Randall could have come in and started. He was that good. He was unbelievable. But, you know, coach was being like Sam and Kenny have been here. Sam's right. the starter. I was second. I think Randall might have ended up redshirting. I don't even remember for sure. But he wasn't going to just jump in now had they needed him certainly he had the talent to pull it off but everybody always gets that backwards which is always funny where after no no no, he was behind us like and he gets to it i just saw him at the super bowl it was great to see him he's a pastor now down in las vegas Um, randall cunningham is 60 that's hard to believe i know yeah that's hard to believe not right but no you know what you started to ask way back about when did Mm -hmm. you make that decision yeah the thing is i didn't even want to do sports like Growing up, my whole emphasis was real news, you know, real journalism, documentaries, political really? things, took journalism, took English, took a lot of political science. And that was where I really wanted to be headed, right? So when I finally got on TV in Seattle, 
I didn't even want to, you know, I didn't volunteer to be in sports. I was like one to wow. be the Mr. Local Reporter guy and maybe branch into something bigger as time went on. I was every night had to watch the national news back when there wasn't all the cable stuff. You right. watched Dan Rather before that. Yeah. It was Walter Cronkite, whatever. And we were a Monday through Friday operation. We always joked if there's news on the weekends, it's news to us. And you guys didn't <laughs> laugh, but we, we thought it was funny. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> Not for everyone. Uh, let me try that again. So we were Monday through Friday operation. No, anyway, so when they added the Saturday, Sunday, Jack Eddie, the news director, is like, basically, you played football, you're doing sports. Ah, uh, okay. All right, I guess. I mean, I didn't really want to. I, you know, I played sports all my life. I followed sports all my life. Typecast. Like I said, right away. Typecast. That, but I just jumped in, and next thing you know, I'm doing Husky games and Sonic games and the Seahawks and all this stuff that's really fun to go to. And and my environment, I'd been through that yeah. in my life, you know, it made sense. And then suddenly the city council meetings on, you know, utility rates became <laughs> less interesting. And so I distinctly remember it was the Joe Montana to John Taylor left to right post to beat the Bengals in the Super Bowl 1989. And I had a pretty good, I just knew that was a good show, like for my little station, you know, our little tiny crew. We pulled off a really good five-minute thing covering the Super Bowl or whatever else we were doing. And I was like, what the hell? I'm just going to send that to ESPN and see what happens. Like, what do I have to lose? And they wrote back, or called back, I should say, literally two days later. Like, hey, we really liked your tape. Send us another one. We want to see if that was a fluke. So wow. I like scrounge around. All right, what's my second best show? And so I sent them that one. And then I ended up going back for the interview but this is where it gets into who's the fifth pitcher on the Cubs. I remember John Walsh, the exalted ruler of ESPN, love John Walsh. He starts literally asking about, I can't even, was it Detroit starting pitching? No, Detroit closers. I said, well, you know, starters will come in, then there'll be the relief setup, man. Then the closers will wrap it. I mean, I'm just, what the hell answer is that? What did I just say? Like, then I start lying. I just started making shit up. It's like, why did I do that? He knows way more than I know. And he knows that I don't know what he knows, but he certainly knows that I don't know what I don't. And so I left with, oh, fuck, they're never going to hire me. Like, I just yeah. made a fool of myself in this meeting because I failed the PA test, essentially, right? Did pretty well on the on the air. I went down, did a tryout show, did fine in the regular interview stuff about who you are and your goals, blah, blah. But when it came to who the fuck's the fifth pitcher on the cup, no, no shot. <laughs> Still no don't chance. Know, and don't care either. But <laughs> so I think that got put in the minds of a handful of them. Like, oh, he's not bad on TV. He's kind of funny, good writer, but we can't trust him out there on a national show. What if we start talking about the fifth pitcher on the Cubs all of a sudden, you know? All right. And then I think I, oh, I know. I left the TV job in Seattle that I was doing the sports and the news on. And you're kind of, I kind of thought I was something because ESPN's talking to me. Right, right, right. I was like, fuck these guys. I'm out of here. So <laughs> so I quit. I felt great driving down that first road, just the first road. Second road started. What the fuck did I just do? I have no money. I have like $2,000. And I just quit a decent, you know, not great paying, but, you know, a legit yeah, job. job in Seattle. Not the smartest move. So I called ESPN and I told him what I had done. I think I left out some of the details. Yeah, yeah. And they're like, yeah, but whatever. People change jobs. Don't worry. keep in touch. You know, they they handle it professionally. They they don't need to know, and they didn't care. Yeah. So now I have no job, 
and I called the garbage company because I used to be a garbage man during college. Mm-hmm. And I called this guy, Steve Caputo, who's running United Waste in uh, South Seattle. I said, hey, I just quit my TV job. You know, is there any chance, just even for a few months, I'm just trying to get back on my feet, figure out what I'm doing next. And he wanted to help. But the problem was, you know how they used to have the guy that hung on the back? Yeah. Called the Swamper. That's what I was back in the day. Right. Well, all these garbage trucks had moved to the claw. They don't need the Swamper Mm. guy because they got the machine that just lifts the industry had passed me by in these intervening <laughs> years. <laughs> the sanitation industry. Yeah. You were you you didn't recognize it anymore. No. Yeah, you so, were a relic. <laughs> so he says to me, What I do have, I can help you out for you know a little while. We need to make some garbage cans. They come off a train, they get moved over by a truck, and you got to pull them apart and put the wheels on and put the lids on. And so now I just on TV the last Friday night or whatever day it was. Like the next Wednesday, I'm in the rain in Kent, Washington, mm-hmm. making garbage cans. And yeah. no offense to anybody who makes garbage cans for a living, but it wasn't what I wanted. You know, I mean, like I was just right. trying to get by. I ran out of fucking cans. I made the cans so zealously. I was trying to like prove my worth to the garbage people to get another shot. I just like burned through like there's no more left. There's no more to make. <laughs> so they let me go. And then I looked in the paper again, getting a, a job through the newspaper. Uh-huh. It said something like marketing company, television experience, a bonus, looking for energetic people, blah, blah, blah. I was like, they're talking to me. So I go to this place, the address in there. And it turns out it was a telemarketing company. And they mm-hmm. were selling prepaid legal insurance. And I was working for them the next month. I was like, in my head, is like my mom who had passed away. She'd be upset if I like took unemployment or did what, like, no, I made right. these decisions. I quit that TV job. I made the fucking cans too yeah. fast. It's yeah. time to go do something else. So now I'm selling prepaid legal insurance. And in the middle of doing that for like six weeks, Jesse Jones, my good friend who works in Seattle, who was still at the, the other station, the Channel 11 station, he calls, he says, Kenny, Al fucking Jaffe just called. Call him back. Al's, it was like Al, a yeah. recruitment. Big guy. deal. Big deal. So I call him back and he asks what I'm up to. He knew that I'd left my job. They're just checking in. How is it? So I tell him I'm working for a marketing company, which I was because I didn't yes. tell him about the prepaid right, marketing, right, doing marketing, right. doing some writing. I'm doing some writing and doing some marketing. How are you doing, Al? So he says, all right, great. Uh, we want to bring you back for another interview. I was like, what? I'm fucking selling prepaid legal insurance. Yeah. And they want to interview I me about being on TV. Okay, let's go. So I go back. <laughs> We have another round of interviews. I can't remember this. I just know it happened. I don't know what happened. I just know it was a friendly. They just wanted to make sure what are you up to? What's going on? We still like you. Nothing happens. So I quit the prepaid legal insurance industry and I get into the long distance sales industry, which is MCI. Remember when MCI and oh, yeah. Sprint and what were the, there were a couple others that were all kind of battling for your market, uh-huh. market show. So I'm selling corporate uh you know phone service to these companies in seattle and espn calls again and they say we want you to cover the goodwill games this is 1990 hey 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 so the goodwill games was sort of like a poor yeah. man's olympics right for those uh-huh. who know or don't know um um russia and and the u.s and this is right after the right the, the whole yeah. breakup of you know so they're trying to do this goodwill thing let's let's still be friends through athletics right mm-hmm. and they had me do that in seattle but I then, for the three years, three and a half years, 
I would just bug ESPN like, hey, want to do a story about so-and-so? I could do a feature, you know. So I was always selling them while they would call me occasionally. Hey, Griffey hit three home runs. Go interview him. Right. We need it for baseball tonight or whatever. I would even do like extra credit. I would like go home and type the story and put that in the envelope with the tape nice. that I was overnighting. Hey, you could have had this, but you chose Perfect. only, you know. So it took a while. But that that's a crazy, that whole period. I call it my blue period. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. I absolutely <laughs> love it. Who was playing basketball at UNLV while you were playing football? Is this Reggie Theus and those guys? No, he he had just left. That was just before. We had okay. Sidney Green, El Sidney Sid, Green, yeah. Right out of New York. Danny Tarkanian, uh-huh. right? He was That's right. a pretty decent guard. Sure I mean, they, was. I think my years, it, it was sort of like they were really good. Then there was this period where they were kind of like NIT good, mm-hmm. which again isn't bad, right? You'd no, rather be no. that good as opposed to not that good. But I then leave, and then you know, some years later, you know, a handful of years later, man, they they had a nice run. Oof. That whole Oof. Like Larry yes. Johnson and, and Augman and all those guys, man, they, they, those are some teams. But Greg Anthony, it's funny. Oh, yeah. I went to a lot of the games. I wasn't that close to. I mean, I, I bump into him maybe, you know, like I think we knew who each other were, but, you know, I hung out with my guys more. I had my friends from football. I kind of had your own little, your own little crew that way. And yeah. I'm still friends with a bunch of them. We, we yeah. trade notes. It's, it's crazy. And I, I, I go back even further. Some people say after they left their high school, they never looked back, like barely talked to anybody there. It's like, man, some of my best friends still are people yeah. I knew from fifth grade or Same. kindergarten, you know? And the same way. Yeah. Mark Beach, Mark Sansifer, all these. By the way, Mark Sansifer, I should mention the the, the one I, I cited yeah. for, you know, helping me my comedy. Uh-huh. He broke Babe Ruth's home run record in one summer of <laughs> wiffle ball. So we played basically from May, April, right? We, baseball started in April. We played from April to September all the time, just all the time. Yeah. And you know, there's back in the day where you had, there's no cell phones. There's no you know, yeah. message machines. You just either get the guy on the phone or you don't. Or in some cases, one guy would swing by on his bike. Hey, man, you want to go? Let's go play. So we'd play two on two. Or if we had more than that, yeah. two people. We had a really small field, but it was perfect for two on two or three on three. We had well, so if many. You go one on one. You can have the ghost runners. <clears throat> yeah. You know, yeah. you could do it. You could. Yeah. So we kept stats. We lined the field with chalk or sugar. My sister sang the anthem. We lit up firecrackers. My Fantastic. dad built us, and he wasn't even that handy, but it, it our family, like my grandpa owned a hardware store and could build anything. He could probably wire a house. Like he could do anything, right? <laughs> my dad could make some things, but you just knew it wasn't as good as his dad. Then it, after me, I just fell off the table. Like Gretchen has to make everything. If we yeah. get something that you have to build... I like I cheer her on and wish yeah. her well and pretend Man. that I'm doing more than I'm doing. I'm with you. Hey, hey, Kenny, before we let you get out of here. What uh, do you mean? I thought we were just this is just we are free. I, yeah, I, we're I warming wish. up. I wish. Hey, um, talk to us a little bit about run free. Oh, please. you know what? We bailed on the injury story. I appreciate uh-huh. the re- yep. re-brief. Yep. Thank you. So all these many years went by the injury story. Refer to that shuttle back to 20 minutes, seven seconds. You'll get that bit. Um, whatever it was. 
So ruined my ankle. And then, you know, like through my twenties, I was still playing men's softball. I was even going for runs. Like I, you know, it was, I knew my ankle was kind of, okay, it's not normal, but it's working still each decade, worse and worse and worse. And it got to the point, this is not a joke. There was a, there was a week in Seattle about 10, 11 years ago. And I was in such pain day-to-day kind of pain from this. Um, I went to three different doctors. One was the fusion guy, you know, where they lock it up and allegedly that takes the pain away because there's no motion. Next one was the replacement guy. Mm -hmm. And I was like, so if I do this, I can play flag football and and this and no, we wouldn't want you to run. Mm-hmm. I was like, why would I get the surgery then? I can already not run. Why would I <laughs> why would I pay money, go through like 17 weeks of therapy, and you yeah. just want me to walk at the mall? Like what what yeah. no, you guys are out. And James Andrews people said don't do it anyway. Um, and the third guy was amputation. And I was dead ser- I was dead serious. You were that much day to day, waking yeah. up depressed, like mm-hmm. I have to get on my f- I have to oh, stand no. up now. Mm-hmm. I'd rather just stay in bed another two, you know. And they saved my life because they were like, dude, you're too young for this. We get that you're in pain. Get a better therapist. Get a brace. There's some other things you can do before you take that extreme of a measure. Mm. So I really appreciate that. That's the kind of advice they gave me. I found some better therapy. A guy named Nino Pribic, which I found him by pure luck. He's still my guy. He He's a Cairo who just Fantastic. brought it back to life. It was not looking Fantastic. good and it wasn't working. And he taught me how to take care of it better as well. And then I found this brace that was really good, but it wasn't the one I have now. So a few years after that, I ran into this guy in Gig Harbor, Washington, Ryan Blunk. And he makes this device for veterans who were in situations like me where you're literally considering cutting it off. Mm-hmm. And instead of doing that, you put this device on, it doesn't fix anything, but it lets you do stuff magically because it takes all the pressure off the joint. Wow. Right? It, sort of, it displaces the pressure off wow. the back joint. And you're now just along for the ride. Where does so it place I, it? What's that? On another joint. Does, it yeah, would take it and it put it on another joint. It? It, no, it, it basically it has these, um, what do you call in the back? The spokes. No, there's a better name for it. It has like these two bars in the back. So like Stabilizer. I weigh, yeah, I weigh two-ish, you know, plus... Somebody who weighs 300 might need four of those things. Okay. A, a young uh, kid absorber? or a girl who weighs 100 pounds maybe only needs one of them. And it, I know the name. I'm just spacing out. Um, but you, 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 if you look at the website, the website's called Run Freely, R-U-N-F-R-E-E-L-Y, runfreely.org. Shows a picture of it. And when you see it, you'll, you'll get it. You stick your leg and your foot in the device then you stick the whole device in your shoe, which you buy one size up, right? So it would fit right. in there. And you're off to the races. I ran on wow. day one on a treadmill and I hadn't run in forever. And started. I literally like cried for two hours. Like I couldn't talk to Gretchen. I couldn't get words out because I was so overwhelmed by this. I've got to put you in touch. I've got to put you in touch with my best, one of my best friends, my high school point guard. We grew up together. Greg Bond had a car accident avoiding hitting me in a car, yeah. bad car wreck, oh, wow. um, and broke his ankle. He played played college ball for my dad for the last 15 years. He has just, it, it's been a nightmare with his ankle. And this I am definitely going to put you in touch 100%. because the, la- the last conversation we had, he is at the, I'm, Breaking. I'm talking about getting it fused. It's 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 uh, just not good. So I'm putting you in touch with Greg Bond, Kenny. Do it after we hang. No, like the I minute will. we hang up, 
I will. I'll talk to him two minutes later if he's free. Um, it's what's been cool about it, among many things, is how many different stories. Everybody has a little different story about why it changed their life. Some went mm-hmm. back to work. Some got to walk at the park with their kid. Some of them are just like, dude, now I can get up and I can, you know, go go take a trip to the store with my wife. And then I, you know, it, it's liberating for all of them. Yeah. And it's not like we're big. We're tiny. Organi- you know, it's me and my Twitter yeah. and a girl named Mara and my wife helping. And we don't have a building. We don't have, you know, an endowment. We just, the next guy that sends in 20 bucks is the next 20 bucks, you know. So Fantastic. every time we get up to the the amount that it costs to buy one of these devices, I call the guy, hey, let's do another one. You know, so it's one by That's one great. by one. Wow. And I got a few things up my sleeve. I won't tell them now because I don't want to put pressure on the people we're talking with uh, until they want to say yes or no. But we got a couple interesting fundraiser ideas. There's so, so sometimes I think, I think of things that are so simple in my mind and other people make it so complicated. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so. I hope a couple of these little things come off. I do They're too. Not your, not your conventional, let's have a golf tournament thing, but something yeah. different. Good. And we'll just keep on making an impact. Fantastic. Kenny, favorite movie? It's a three-way tie. Oh, okay. this is great. Apocalypse yeah. Now, Chinatown. Yes. It's a four-way tie. Okay. Ready? Uh-huh. Yeah. In no order. Apocalypse Now, Chinatown, The Killing by Stanley Kubrick. And Jerry Maguire. Oh, hey, I love. I, I was going to say, oh. planes, trains, and automobiles is right next to it. Okay, that's not a pillow. Yeah, yeah, and, and just <laughs> how do they know which way we're going? You know, I mean, John Candy's John Candy. <laughs> yeah, Steve Martin, Steve Martin. but there's something about when when Kubrick passed away. I remember reading this big story. A.O. Scott, I think, was the writer. And was going through all, you know, and I was no expert on, on I just knew he was this famous, mm-hmm. you know, talented guy. And I read about the killing. It's horse race based. It's about the ripping off a racetrack. Mm-hmm. And it's told in non-sequential, I think that it's called uh, non-linear, I believe is the term. I don't think I've ever watched all of it, Kenny. I've oh. got to go back and watch this. It's black and white. There's a narrator. It's old timey. Yeah, it was, it was Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. You know, like the, the voice describing everything. But it's a little hokey that way, but it's so cool that way. It's, it's of yeah. its time. It, that was probably pretty cool. And showing it out of order, like you see a scene and a minute or two later, you see, wait a minute, I just saw that. But wait, now it's yeah. from this angle, from this guy's perspective. That's Apocalypse great. Now is, I could watch that a thousand times. It's just yeah. oh, the smell of so many moments. in the morning. Yeah. yeah. Front row center for... Any entertainer, singer, uh, to watch an athletic event, dead or alive, like you could go I back. I know and- that I want front row center. I want to be in like a loge box, okay, corner. Okay. Like, okay, I love okay. people. I don't love yeah. crowds all the time. Like the concert experience, or the, although I will say, courtside at a professional game is pretty cool. You think it it's is. going to be weird, and then you realize nobody gives a shit that you're sitting there. But you just have this amazing view. You can hear Front the row. conversation. Yeah. Okay, I got let's you. don't completely dissect. Let's let you go way. with Stevie the- Wonder. <laughs> ah, Stevie Wonder. I I have several. You know we're you know what we're in now. We're in stoppage time. Mm. Is there any limit? Is there some no. ruler of podcasts that says no? Nope. How dare you go beyond sixty minutes? No, there's not. What the hell. 
We love so it. We were, we're, we're trying to let you go. I got to tell you three Stevie Wonder stories in a row then. Do it. <laughs> Please do. It starts with back to my TV job in Seattle. I'm finally on TV. This is my first week. They're literally letting me be a news reporter for $9.54 an hour. I am producing and broadcasting for KS2 Washington an hour ahead of the rest. <laughs> you ready for this? So day one, I do the conventional, like the the garbage dump that has, which by the way, I already have an affiliation with garbage right, swampers. Right. You know, uh-huh. Big swamper. Yeah. Taking me back. So I'm kind of like one of the most, uh, I'm one of the, what is it? The, the foremost authority on the garbage industry in the Seattle. <laughs> so no, it's one of those garbage dumps that's leaking methane gas, right? Doesn't it happen in every state? Every yeah, so right. I'm doing the big serious report at the Midway Landfill, right? The next day, Stevie Wonder is coming to town to start a concert on Wednesday, but Tuesday is doing a sound check. And I know about this because I'm a huge Stevie Wonder fan. And I tell the assignment, hey, we should go to the Stevie Wonder sound check. It's Stevie Wonder. They didn't, what's the relevance? Uh, it's fucking it's Stevie, Stevie Wonder. Wonder. That's the relevance, you know. Yeah. So I talk him into it, but I have to go to the, I, in addition, when I drive up to Seattle, you have to stop by the city council meeting on sludge waste or whatever the hell, you know. <laughs> so we blow that off. We we go over to the Coliseum, which is now the Climate Pledge Arena, right? Right. And they tell us, you can only stay for 10 minutes, no interviews, stay away from the stage, get your B-roll, get the hell out. That's what they tell us, right? So we're shooting. They, they kind of forget that they made the rule that stringent. And a reporter yeah. runs up on the stage. And starts asking Stevie questions during a break. I see this from the back of the gym. Like, get out there. So me and the Tom Hickey was my camera. We go sprinting up there. I'm the last guy in. We were the farthest one back. So we're the last guy on stage. They're talking about world peace or something. I'm so nervous. My hand is shaking. Like, I can't hold my hand still. I just can't. Physically can't. And I lay it down to get, you know, to get some stability. It turns out I put it on the keys. So, like... He's talking and you're like, you know, and Stevie just turns the volume to zero. He doesn't get mad. He keeps talking. He knew somebody was fucking up his keyboard. Wow. Probably not hurting it really. He didn't give a shit. He just, I got more keyboards. Wow. Did that happen? Right. So we run our stuff. Years later, um, Tim Scanlon was the baseball boss at ESPN. And we were, I was always in those softball games with the all-star break. Mm -hmm. The the all-star game was going to be in Detroit. I think it was 2005 or 06, somewhere in there. All-Star Baseball is going to be in Detroit. Stevie's from Detroit, Saginaw. He's playing in a concert in Philadelphia. My vision is I want to go down to Philadelphia, get him to say something funny, and we'll use it in three weeks at Detroit because of the affiliation. Tim's like, I think, yeah, go for it. You I said, just so you know, like I have nothing set up. I'm not promising. Yeah, that's fine. Just good luck. Have fun. You'll you'll get it. <laughs> And I spent 15 hours in Philadelphia. It was the Live 8 concert, if anybody remember. Not Live Aid, but Live 8. Live like 8. G8 Summit. Yeah. And they were trying to uh, influence the G8 nations to relieve African debt. That was the point of the, the concert okay. thing. And Steve is the headliner of the Philadelphia. And there's, everybody's there, right? I got the flimsiest press pass you've ever seen. Looked like somebody would <laughs> hand it out for a... <laughs> you know, a grade school, uh, you know, field day. It was that kind of level of a pass, like a just paper. Right. And it doesn't get me anything. I'm in, I'm in a tent about nine blocks from the, I'm nowhere near Stevie wonder. I, somehow I luck out. I run into a teamster who's there setting up barricades or whatever. And he recognizes me from sports center, gives me a lanyard. He had an extra one. So I get closer and closer to Stevie wonder. 
I go over to the compound near the, not far from the set. And I'm trying to like get one of his guys just, Hey, I'm here from ESPN. I'm trying to do this bit, you know, and his guy keeps waving people in like Will Smith gets waved in. And then Natalie Portman <laughs> gets all these famous people are going in to meet Stevie. And he looks straight at me and he's waving big smile. Come on. You know, like you're next. And in my head, I'm like, how the fuck do they know who I am? There's no way they know who I am. Okay, that's fourth time he's waved. And I take a half a step forward. Don Cheadle walks by me. Mm. They were waving to him, obviously, right behind me, but he wasn't paying attention. So <laughs> now I'm a little bummed, but somehow I get lucky and I get to his guy. I tell him the whole bit. He says, I'm not going to ask him, but after the show, when he's done, you stand right here. We're going to come through this alley. I'll bring him to you. You get your shot. Fair enough. I get, you know, I'm going to pitch Stevie Wonder on a line. He comes Incredible. by. This is 15 hours deep. And by the way, BET was going to interview Stevie, but their camera broke. Something went down. So in a gesture of goodwill, we took their tape, stuck it in our machine. They interview him. So now we're kind of like in the mix, right? Wow. And now it's my turn. We get their tape back to them, put our tape in. This is back when people use tape. And then Stevie Wonder listens to me. I explain, I'm your biggest fan. Just run. I work for ESPN, blah, blah, blah. Here's the bit. Can you say I can't be at the baseball all-star game? I have a high ankle sprain. He doesn't. <laughs> he laughed and then he did in one take. Perfect, like just perfect intonation, like, like he owned it, right? <laughs> I said, Thank you so much. Appreciate it. He walks away. I said, When's that album coming out? And he turns back, he goes, soon. And he keeps walking. It was oh, like the great. greatest two minutes ever. I then got to interview him like a more legitimate interview, the Super Bowl in Detroit. Seahawks and the Steelers and I reminded him of that wow. and, he, and he made he made that joke I said so I basically because I laid my mic on your keys you turned it down essentially we have collaborated I've told people this <laughs> and he's like he's like let's make the album or you know he had like a good parting bit on it. Yeah. the best he, he's something so yeah the he'd best. be it of all the other ones I did get to do being a Dale Earnhardt's 500 win and mm. working with him the next year. And, mm. and you know, a year later after that, I guess it was right. Amazing. So yeah, there's 10,000 great little moments like that, but yeah. how, do, how is Stevie not number one? That's yeah. right. Uh, Kenny Maine. Thank you, buddy. We're going to let We're you just run. just getting started here. I know. Um, All right. Walter. Do you want to see the cat Walter. again? Wait, yeah, Walter. I'd love to. Hold on. Walter. Walter. Where's Walter. Come on, Walt. There's Walt. This yeah. is our new segment. Uh -huh. Show us your pants. Walter's shooting dice. Coming out. Sweetness. New uh -huh. shooter. New shooter. New roll shooter. the dice. Walter, roll the dice. Go. Do it. Do it. Show him. Come on. Come on, Walter. <laughs> he's he's camera shy. Uh -huh. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Uh -huh. Just a little nap. Uh -huh. All right. Yeah. This was good. I didn't know what we talked about. I don't know why we did it, but I'm glad we did. Thanks, Have your buddy. guy. Text me right now. Give me I will. Guy. Greg Bond will be right. calling you. Nice meeting you, buddy. Be well. Much love. Awesome. My main, main, Kenny Main. I told you that before we came on that for years, even before I met Kenny Main, if I saw him on TV, I'd walk into a room and say, my main, main, Kenny Main. <laughs> I like it. And uh, then we became buddies and I'll send him a text every week or so that says, hey, my main, main, Kenny Main. Or a reply to a tweet with my main, main, Kenny Main. What a guy, yeah. right? 
How about you? You might have just changed your your buddy's your buddy's life. Oh, Greg, I'm telling you, yeah. he's been down and out. He's been to uh, different surgeons and specialists and whatnot. He had the he had the metal removed. He's done all of it, but he's gotten to the point where it's like, man, I think I may just have to get it fused. And then he's worried about limping and the restriction of movement and all that stuff. Sure. And sure. So anyway, yeah, I'm gonna put him with Kenny Mayne. I like that. Gosh. You know what? You know how we did that. Uh, occasionally, we equated, tried to equate uh, basketball players with actors. Yes. You know, we did that. Uh, I while we while we talked there, I was like, if you were doing sports announcers, he would be Michael Keaton. Yeah, good think, call. You know, just good kind call. Of a, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yep. Okay. Yep. Throw that out there. You just you just plug him in wherever, and he's gonna make it work. And he's awesome. Awesome. Every time. Good call, bud. All right. Hey, you want to do this again next week? I really would. Me too. That was Kenny Maine. Join us here next week for the Rex Chapman Show with my super dope homeboy from the Lextown, Josh Hopkins, powered by basketballnews.com. <laughs> <laughs>